0: Hey everyone, Courtney from a Nefarious Nightmare podcast here. If any of you have been following Amanda or myself on our socials, there's a small chance that you've noticed some Easter eggs. A movement has been occurring at least since May of 2022, and even before that. If true crime fascinates you and you want to learn about deviant behavior against those deemed extra vulnerable, or delve into how it impacts the survivors and victims straight from the source, then B on the lookout and subscribe to a nefarious nightmare wherever you get your podcasts and be ready for something coming mid-june 2023 don't forget to be vigilant for when you mess with
1: the bees you get the hive
0: we are we
1: are we are cultivate 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 we are cultivate Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It is going. Yeah.
0: I feel that in my bones. We were just talking about how we are both super tired Mm -hmm. and we blame the moon. Yeah.
1: When in doubt, blame the man. Mm-hmm. It doesn't rhyme, but it doesn't need to because it's... It doesn't a, need to because it's the It's a core truth.
0: It is. Tides and whatnot. Yeah. Gravity. Stuff of that
1: nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is the first episode of the month, which means it is time to shout out and thank our lovely patrons. Oh, my um, And Jennifer. So thank you so much for continuing to support our little podcast on Patreon. Thank you. If you would like to join their ilk, you can do so over on patreon.com slash ye old crime podcast. And in case you're new here, that is old with an E at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And it is also the start of Pride Month. So once again, we will be donating the proceeds of our limited edition Pride merch. Over on our Tea Public store to Outright International. Yay. Woo! And sticking with that theme, we mm-hmm. are going to be discussing the Molly Houses of London. Ooh, intriguing. Is this gonna be sad? I don't think so.
0: I never know with you.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: Like, I know hey, it's Pride Month. This is all about death. <laughs> like, yeah, I
1: feel like every time we sit down to record, it's like rolling the dice. You never know. <laughs> yes. It sounds great. And then it could just be like, and then there's a pile of dead babies. And right. then you're
0: like, why? It's like this woman with a really amazing name. And she's like the worst fucking person that I've ever lived. <laughs>
1: great great you're like why are you doing this to me and i'm like i don't know because i like pain no long pigs right no long pigs in this episode here in the clear thanks information was pulled from the following sources the 2022 city of london article 2020 the british national archive post by mary mckee 2017 atlas obscura article by natasha frost 2016 east end women's museum article the Georgian Underworld by Richter Norton, a GLBTQ article by Jeffrey W. Bateman, Historic England, three links about homosexuality in 18th century England, source book by Richter Norton, mm-hmm. and Homosexuality in 19th century England, source book by Richter Norton, and Wikipedia. Nice. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. As I mentioned, it's the start of Pride Month, so we plan to cover cases involving people, places, and events that make up the rich history of the LGBTQIA community. Mm-hmm. And in the words of our good friend CJ... It's not a crime to be gay, unless you are a murderer. So fair,
0: and even then, it's like it's because you are a murderer. It's because it's you are a murderer. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So that's just to set the tone for this month. We are not saying that it's not okay to be gay. It's just we're just setting the stage. So today, we're going to be discussing the fascinating history of the Molly Houses of London which are the earliest iterations of what we today would consider a gay bar. Nice. So in the 18th century, a Molly house was anything from a coffee house to an inn or a pub in which mollies or malls would secretly meet to socialize, live and have sex. Molly at this time was slang for either a gay man for a lower class woman or a female sex worker. Interesting group of people. Yeah. In this context, it's going to be for gay men. Okay. In fact, the word molly comes from a Latin word that means soft or sissy. Mm. Okay. Makes sense. It began to be used to describe gay men who were seen as quote unquote male whores.
0: Mm. I was just going to say like softer. Yeah. I I would prefer to be like, you know. You're just kind of softer. Yep. And that's why I called you that. Not like, you're a
1: whore. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to call you a Molly. <laughs> so I'm going to call you a Molly. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. However, in today's culture, being a Molly wouldn't necessarily be limited to just being gay, it could also include those who identify as bisexual or queer. Okay. But to eliminate confusion, I'm going to continue to note it as gay or homosexual the rest of this okay. episode just because that was the label at the time and that was like the umbrella term that these okay. others fell under if we want to do a sort of like short cramp word segment there is a whole language that was used in the gay subculture of the 18th century i want to know all about it this is like a snippet of what i was able to find
0: is it similar to like how we are slang now
1: A little bit, yeah. Oh my god! Okay. (laughs) So the term caterwauling Mm. was used to describe when men would go out cruising for a good time.
0: Nice.
1: When a man found another man who was interested in having sex, it was referred to as picking up a trade. Mm. If both parties agreed to have sex, they were making a bargain. And if it was a case of engaging with a homosexual sex worker, it would be called to bite a blow interesting change
0: from being more businesslike to um...
1: not yeah the act of sex itself was mm-hmm. called to endorse this
0: is so business <laughs> <laughs> yep i went I went for a bargain and endorsed <laughs> yep. <laughs>
1: Which was loosely based on a boxing term, but essentially it just meant anal sex. Mm. So that is your, your brief cramp board segment involving the gay slang of the time. Nice. So many business deals. So many lucrative, so lucrative business deals. So many wheeling and dealing, trading, mm. buying, endorsing, all the things. Could you imagine that
0: vernacular coming back? For, like, Instagram people. (laughs) They're like, yeah, I have so many endorsements.
1: And it's It's like, like, whoa. Wow.
0: I mean, good for you, but, like, are you safe? (laughs) Are you practicing safely?
1: (laughs) Are these safe endorsements? Right.
0: Are these endorsements protected?
1: (laughs) Yeah, are you practicing safe endorsements? The majority of patrons of Molly Houses were the working class. So you have your butchers, your brewers... Candlemakers, grocers, publicans, tailors, cabinet makers, upholsterers, wig makers, coachmen, coal merchants, woolen drapers, and of course, any manner of servants.
0: Right. I'm imagining the trades kind of being broken down in the Molly houses, similar to like a high school. The leather trade and like the wig makers mm-hmm. are together and like the, all the, Restaurant kind of folk are all together, and mm-hmm. like the heavier trade, like blacksmiths and stuff, are together. Mm-hmm. Sounds lovely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe a little sweaty. So. A real
1: melting pot. Yeah. Of awesomeness, really. Yeah.
0: Like so many good trades all in one spot.
1: Right? You could get so much done. <laughs> there were so many business deals happening. <laughs> so many business deals could be executed. <laughs> So lucrative. So lucrative. <laughs> during this time in England's history, you could be executed for being homosexual, which is why Molly houses were such a safe haven. In a quote from the East End Women's Museum, they state, quote, the legal records document investigations into about 30 Molly houses during the course of the century. Considering that the population of London was only about six hundred thousand people in the seventeen twenties. Having even just a dozen Molly houses at that time is a bit like having two hundred gay clubs in the nineteen seventies. In some respects, the eighteenth century Molly subculture was as extensive as modern gay subculture. End quote.
0: Nice. I was just gonna say like it's almost like the, the coffee houses, remember? They mm-hmm. had like one on each block. They probably yep. had a Molly house in
1: each neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You're on the right track. There were districts throughout the city where Molly houses could be found. But one of the main hubs resided in the, as you probably guessed, east end of London. Based mm. off the quote I just did. Cruising grounds where caterwauling took place mm. were usually one of the following. Public toilets, open fields or parks, or major public thoroughfares essentially anywhere where it was acceptable to loiter without gaining much attention
0: yeah and easy to run away too i think if Mm -hmm. it was met with aggression Mm -hmm. like oh you're not gay okay bye (laughs) i'm just gonna get on this train now
1: (laughs) my mom's calling for me i gotta go
0: Mm, business (laughs) gotta go
1: (laughs) got more business sorry so much business see you later the most popular spot for gay men was Mother Claps, a coffee house in Field Lane in Holborn that was owned by John Clapp and his wife, Margaret. I love that
0: name, Mother Claps.
1: hmm Margaret ran the Molly House, while her husband ran another pub they owned that was open to the general public. Nice. Margaret was often referred to as Mother Clapp, and she had a deep love for her customers, going so far as to provide character witnesses for them if they needed, if any of them were taken to court on sodomy charges.
0: That's so nice. hmm I can't get Clap these cheeks out of my head. Mm-hmm. And, like, Mother Clap, like, it's the perfect...
1: Let me hear your hands clap.
0: <laughs> it's such a good drag name, Mother Clap. Right? Someone bring that back.
1: Someone do it. I'll clap. On any given night at Mother Clap's, Around 30 men would gather over the course of its 10-year run from 1716 to 1726. Sunday nights were the main party night when the crowd would swell to between 40 to 50 men. Nice. Her Molly house was so well known, in fact, that some of her patrons would travel from as far as 30 to 40 miles outside of London just to visit. Really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Dancing, singing, and just general merriment would take place in the large front room, and there was a smaller room on the ground floor known as the marrying room or the chapel that included a large double bed where couples could have relations. Nice. Similar to like, there's like a
0: kissing room or a kissing booth and like some Irish pubs and stuff. Yep. Like a dark corner
1: mm-hmm. kind of thing. The room was guarded by a doorman. And her molly house was not considered a brothel by any means, as no payment was ever taken on her premises for sex. Yeah, that makes sense. Julius Caesar Taylor, a free black man, ran a molly house in Tottenham Court Road in the 1720s. Visitors would be initiated by having a glass of gin thrown in their faces and be given a female name. Oh my god. This is amazing. Right? Right. Julius would go on to be arrested and found guilty on charges of sodomy, as well as running a disorderly house. That charge essentially is like the equivalent of running a brothel. Plump Nellie, given name Samuel Roper, ran a molly house with his wife on Giltspur Street. He was arrested in 1725 at the Hart Street Molly House. When he was arrested again in 1726 on charges of sodomy and keeping a disorderly house, He later died in the poultry compter, or prison, while waiting for his trial date. Bog houses, or public toilets that had multiple cubicles, Mm -hmm. became common in the late 17th century. These became popular areas where men could meet for agreed-upon sex with some modicum of privacy. Mm -hmm. In 1707, in the bog house in the Temple District... A hole was deliberately cut in the partition between two of the stalls. That's right. It's the first recorded glory hole. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh, man. 1707, baby. Yeah. London Bridge was often a place for male solicitation, as well as Drury Lane, where they could blend in amongst the female sex workers of the area. Another popular spot was the Moorfields, or the area that is now the south side of Finsbury Square, which used to go by the moniker of Sodomites Walk. Hmm. Not as great. Yeah. Needs more business. Let's not get too literal here. St. James Park was another popular spot, as soldiers from the barracks nearby would come by to get picked up. Nice. Blackmailers like John Mitchell, who frequently bragged about having a nine-inch-long penis, was a regular at St. James Park, stating, quote, when I want money, I took a walk in the park and got four or five guineas a night from gentlemen because they would not be exposed, end quote. So essentially, he's like, let's hook up. Oh, by the way, I'm going to tell everybody that you're gay unless you pay me money. Great. Yep. Yeah.
0: Could you imagine... uh, That's just so dirty. That's so low. Like, Mm -hmm. I get it, but...
1: Damn. Yeah. Two other men, Thomas Brown and his brother, a soldier named James, boasted about picking up and blackmailing 500 men in Birdcage Alley in St. James Park in the early half of the 1760s. My God. So that's like 100 men a year, roughly. You may be wondering how one solicited without being too obvious... One standard technique was to pretend to urinate in public, usually facing a wall, and wait until someone approached to strike up a conversation about, of all things, the weather. Of course. Other methods of solicitation included sitting on a bench and patting the back of one's hands. Or, once a partner had been selected, they would poke a white handkerchief through the tails of their frock coat, waving it about as a signal to have the interested party follow them into some bushes off the path. Oh my god, this is like a
0: little cartoon. It's so cute.
1: It's so cute.
0: Could you imagine? You just see some man, like, wiggling a finger through <laughs> <Could> you...
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: Like, sir, do you need that mended? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> Don't go while you're bothering me. I'm securing a business deal. Leave. I'm conducting important business. Some gay men of the day didn't hide the fact that they were just men interested in other men. John Twyford shared in 1745 that, quote, he loved a soldier as he loved his life, end quote.
0: Hmm. While
1: Richard Manning was arrested in 1745 and served six months for participating in mutual masturbation with his partner. Wow. Six months for that. The very day he was released, he tried to pick up a man on Fleet Street and was promptly arrested and sent back to prison for a 12-month sentence.
0: That's so awful. Mm -hmm. That's so awful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Other men, like Henry Thropp, felt extreme guilt for being gay and having homosexual Mm -hmm. urges. In 1729, he completed suicide in St. George's Fields after he was picked up by a homosexual blackmailer after suppressing his urges for five years.
0: See, that's what I was kind of worried about with the blackmailing. Yeah. Like, you're really preying on somebody's deepest, darkest fear.
1: hmm Most Molly houses were ale houses, and many of them were open to the public, but had one or two private rooms in the back where Mollies would gather, such as the Royal Oak. The Royal Oak, which sits on the corner of St. George's Square and Pall Mall, even had a small room referred to as the chapel. Getting married in the chapel was code for having consensual sex. Nice. Not all Molly houses were run by gay men. At least three were run by married men and women, like Molly Claps. Yeah. Mama Claps. Mama Claps. Most of them were run by either single or married gay men, with the single owners typically referred to as queens. I love that. Two examples of some fierce queens include Judith, birth name Thomas Mug, who ran a molly house on Windmill Street, Piccadilly, and Mary Magdalene, birth name John Towelton, who ran the molly house on Christopher Alley off the Moorfields. That was a good alehouse, I can tell you that. Mm Mm-hmm. A common theme was the act of cross-dressing, as the men who frequented them often wore women's clothes and behaved in ways that at that time were considered more quote-unquote feminine. This included how they spoke, acted, dressed, and they even referred to themselves and their friends as sisters. I love this so much. Mm -hmm. Looking at it through today's lens, it's hard to say if some of the patrons of these establishments were essentially dressing in drag, if they were trans, or just simply enjoyed wearing women's fashion. Mm -hmm. What we do know is that many of the men were christened maiden names, such as Primrose Mary who was a butcher.
0: Yeah. Oh, butcher. Okay.
1: Aunt England, who was a soap boiler. Nice. And Plump Nelly, who we mentioned earlier, Mm whose given name was Samuel Roper, who ran a Molly house with his wife. Being given a new name cemented one's place in the gay subculture of the Molly houses. And these feminine monikers were only given within the context of the Molly house. Obviously more masculine men who enjoyed caterwauling out in public Tended to not receive such names, but it wasn't unheard of. Right. Dances and celebrations were a frequent occurrence at Molly houses. Men would dance jigs together to fiddle music, and drag balls would take place during the Christmas season and to celebrate New Year's.
0: Awesome.
1: Body songs would be sung, with a popular one ending each verse with the phrase, quote, come, let us fuck finally, end quote. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love that. One vivid account of a drag ball was presented at the Old Bailey in court. Quote, Some were completely rigged in gowns, petticoats, headcloths, fine-laced shoes, beferbled—wow, that's a weird word befurbled scarves and masks. Some had riding hoods, some were dressed like milkmaids, others like shepherdesses with green hats, waistcoats, and petticoats, and others had their faces patched and painted— and wore very extensive hoop petticoats, which had been very lately introduced end quote. Awesome. one of the most elaborate festival nights was that of the mock birth ceremony, where one man would pretend to be pregnant and go into labor. stop Another man would pose as the midwife while others might dress as nurses uh-huh. helping him give birth to anything from a wooden doll two wheels of cheese the baby would then be baptized with the name of its quote-unquote father Mm -hmm. while the rest of the men would joke about the size of their husband's dicks as a way of poking fun at heteronormative marriages oh my gosh amazing i love that they birthed cheese (laughs) wheels (laughs) of cheese
0: those are the most expensive babies ever recorded (laughs)
1: All this would then devolve into a celebratory meal of chicken and cold tongue and lots and lots of alcohol. And cheese. Gotta eat that baby. And cheese. If, I mean, it seems counterintuitive to eat one's baby that you just birthed, but there was nothing that said they didn't do it. Right. Go really well with that tongue. Mm -hmm. Or chicken. (laughs) I'm gonna go with the chicken. I don't know what goes well with tongue because I don't eat tongue. Yes. A famous mall of the day went by the name of Princess Serafina, birth name James Cooper. Okay. And she b- boldly showcased her female identity both in and outside the Molly houses. Wow. hmm Princess Serafina was an unemployed gentleman's valet and famously wore drag to a masquerade ball at Vahal Gardens in April of 1732. She made money by picking up men and coordinating hookups between homosexuals.
0: So she was kind of like a madam almost In a way Like a traveling madam Yeah, a
1: little a little bit The traveling madam matchmaker I kind of thought of her as like The millionaire matchmaker Yeah Only classier <laughs> I've got just the man for you Yep
0: Picture this, boulder cap Fine suit
1: <laughs> Made himself He's a tailor, let's go Princess Serafina became a household name in 1732 when she took a man to court for stealing her clothes. Mary Poplett, Princess Serafina's neighbor, had this to say about her during her testimony at the trial. Quote, "I have known her highness a pretty while, oh my gosh. I have seen her several times in women's clothes. She commonly used to wear a white gown and a scarlet cloak with her hair frizzled and curled all round her forehead." And then she would so flutter her fan and make such fine curtsies that you would not have known her from a woman. She takes great delight in balls and masquerades and always chooses to appear at them in a female dress that she may have the satisfaction of dancing with fine gentlemen. Her Highness lives with Mr. Tull in Eagle Court in the Strand and calls him her master because she was nursed to him and his wife when they were both in salivation. Salivation... Was a cure for syphilis using mm. mercury. Oh, yeah.
0: well, that, that's a heck of a cure.
1: Yeah, but the princess is rather Mister Tull's friend than his domestic servant. I never heard that she had any other name than the princess Seraphina. End quote. I love that. I loved everything but the syphilis thing. That was kind of that was disturbing, but
0: um, but she was helping. She was helping her friend.
1: Yep. Molly weddings were used to mark long-term relationships. One such wedding took place between Thomas Coleman, a butcher, and John Hyens, a French immigrant who went by the name Queen Irons. Prior to their nuptials, the pair had been pilloried together, were put in the stocks, and imprisoned for three months. The bridesmaids were Miss Kitten, whose birth name was James Oviatt, and Princess Seraphina. Minister John Church would perform marriage ceremonies for those who wanted them at the White Swan on Street. They weren't legal. Right. But. Since,
0: you know, their existence technically is not legal.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But he was an ordained minister. And.
0: I love that. Yeah. And that he was, like, able to do that. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Now, much like we've seen at other times in history, both abroad and here in America, it wasn't uncommon for raids to take place on gay institutions. The most well-known of these took place in February of 1726 on Mother Clap's Molly House after it had been under police surveillance for over a year by agents from the Societies for the Reformation of Manners, an organization that had formed to rid London of sodomites, prostitutes. And breakers of the Sabbath.
0: Fun fact you can't. It's like built on that. <laughs> <Sorry>. mm-hmm. <laughs> we built this setup. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, it's been here for a while.
1: <laughs> You're a little too late. It's a few centuries too late. Yep. 40 men were arrested, and Mother Clapp herself was arrested and found guilty of keeping a disorderly house for the entertainment of sodomites for which she was put in the Smithfield Market pillory and forced to serve six months in jail. According to newspaper reports, she was treated so poorly by the general public while in the pillory that she fainted numerous times and even fell off it at one point. She even had a seizure and had to be taken off to Newgate, where it is believed she passed away before she could even serve her prison sentence. That's awful. At the trial, police infiltrator Samuel Stevens, who visited Mother Clapps on a Sunday, had the following to say about her establishment and the going-ons within it. Quote, I found between 40 and 50 men making love to one another, as they called it. Sometimes they would sit in one another's laps, kissing in a lewd manner, and using their hands indecently. Then they would get up, dance, and make curtsies, and mimic the voices of women. Then they'd hug and play and toy and go out by couples into another room to be married, as they called it. As for Mother Clapp, she was present all the time, except when she went out to fetch liquors. The company talked all manner of gross and vile obscenity in her hearing, and she appeared to be wonderfully pleased with it. End quote.
0: because she's not a monster, jerk.
1: Mm-hmm. Of the 40 men arrested, around six were also put in the pillory, given fines, and sent to prison for up to two years.
0: Yeah.
1: On May 9th, 1726, three of them were also hanged at the Tyburn gallows for committing acts of sodomy. Wow. Gabriel Lawrence, a 43-year-old milkman, William Griffin, a 43-year-old furniture upholsterer, and Thomas Wright, who also owned and operated a Molly house. That's
0: so sad.
1: Another raid took place in July of 1726 on a molly house run by Robert Whale and his partner, York Horner, who were known to their friends as Peggy and Prue. The pair had been living together for three years prior to the raid. A few years later, another famous raid took place in Whitechapel. The molly house in question was owned by Jonathan Muff, who was known as Miss Muff. Nice. In what used to be Black Lion Yard. The raid made it into the October 5, 1728 edition of the Weekly Journal, and read as follows quote, On Sunday night last, a constable with proper assistance searched the house of Jonathan Muff, alias Miss Muff, in Black Lion Yard, near Whitechapel Church, where they apprehended nine male ladies, including the man of the house. They were secured that night in New Prison. And Monday morning, they were examined before Justice Jackson in Aliff Street. John Bleak Colland was committed to Newgate, he being charged on oath with committing the detestable sin of sodomy, end quote.
0: Yeah, whatever. I bet
1: you have no maidens. Yeah. Not a ton is known of the nine who were arrested, but we do know that one of them was forced to pay a fine. Two of them were whipped. Two others were acquitted. And Thomas Mitchell, which was his given name, attempted to end his life in prison by cutting the major artery in his left arm, but he was treated and made a full recovery. In 1810, the White Swan was raided. It had been open only six short months before it was swarmed by police, resulting in the arrest of 23 people. A violent mob surrounded the prisoners' coaches as they were taken to the watch house, and two of the men were sentenced for buggery and put to death. Seriously, buggery, mm-hmm. yeah, wow, yeah, those arrested include S. L. Haycock, who was a shopkeeper, James Amos, who lodged at the White Swan and was a disabled servant, William Thompson, a hotel waiter, Henry Tugood, a servant, Robert Aspinall, who was a lodger, Richard Francis, who was a corporal, James Cook, who was a landlord, Philip Hot, who was a waiter, James Spittle was a servant, Matthew Saunders, James Dunn, who was a shoreditch ditch and bricklayer, William Barrow, John Reeves, James Griffiths, who was a servant, Edward Quaife, who was a soldier, George Boat, who was a waiter that lodged at the White Swan, Timothy Norris, a servant, Bernard Hovell, who was a soldier, Thomas Dixon, who was a soldier, and Michael Hayes, who was a servant. Over 100 constables were present to escort James Cook, James Amos, whose femme name was Sally Fox, William Thompson, Richard Francis, and James Don to the pillory. Three months after the raid, thousands of people surrounded the men as they were marched to the pillory. They were hit with anything from potatoes to dead cats to eggs and, of course, slurs. By the time they actually arrived at the stocks, many of the men were already bleeding profusely from the abuse they'd suffered. It's awful. It wasn't unusual for gay men to be arrested and tried at the Old Bailey. In fact, records show that around 85 trials were conducted for homosexual offenses, and around 50 for homosexual blackmail in the 1700s. There were quote-unquote legal workarounds that could be used in one's defense, The Georgian underworld sums it up really well, so I'm going to quote it directly. Quote, in 1718, a watchman caught sight of two men making love against the railings in front of Covent Garden Church and went up to them and started calling them filthy sodomites. John Bowes, whose breeches were down around his ankles, replied, "Sirrah, what's that to you? Can't I make use of my own body? I have done nothing but what I will do again. This was in accord with the typical Enlightenment philosophy that sexual pleasure was a personal area that the law had no business meddling with. There was okay. even a serious public debate in the newspapers in 1772 when a number of respectable people argued that sexual relations between men should be legalized as long as they take place between consenting partners over the age of 14 the age at which a boy became an adult, end quote. Nice.
0: Very, very forward thinking. Probably right? too forward thinking.
1: In the 18th century legal system, the act of sodomy was considered an assault under the Buggery Act of 1533. Okay. The Buggery Act of 1533 was passed by Parliament during the reign of King Henry VIII. Great and is the first law where men having sex with men was punishable by fine, imprisonment, or death. Even though the majority of the trials that took place involved sex between two consenting adults, consent wasn't considered a legal defense.
0: Just another glowing aspect of Henry VIII's Mm
1: -hmm. brain. Yep. Great guy. Fun fact, under the Buggery Act... Acts that would be considered anal sex were viewed on the same tier as bestiality.
0: And you cannot tell me that people on the royal court never partook at all. Yeah. Yeah. Can't
1: tell me that. In 1861, the death penalty for sodomy slash buggery was repealed and instead replaced with legislation around the act of gross indecency. Okay. Although still not great, it did take the death penalty off the table as far as punishments were concerned.
0: If the mob didn't kill you first.
1: Yeah. But legally, you couldn't be killed. So, small mercies. Molly houses weren't limited to London, and drag balls weren't limited to England's capital either. One famous event that took place in Manchester quickly drew the attention of police officials. On the night of September 24th and 25th in 1880, the Temperance Hall in Home was rented out by a group of men for a private event. If the police found out that it was an event for same-sex dancing and intimacy, it would immediately be shut down, so it was purposefully held in the working-class area of Manchester. Okay. Attendees were required to use a secret knock in order to gain admittance, and the pianist that was hired for the event was blind making him unable to act as a witness should the event be raided by police. That's incredible. As you could probably guess, it was raided by Detective Kaminata, who had been keeping several gay men in Manchester under surveillance for quite some time. Rude. After sharing the password, sister, in a high-pitched, overly feminine voice, He and the rest of the police force burst into Temperance Hall and arrested 47 men in fancy dress and ball gowns. Some of the assembled party were even doing a rendition of the can-can. Come on. Right?
0: This is so rude. They worked so hard getting those dresses. They might have even made them themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Just let them have their moment. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I bet they looked fabulous. I bet they looked amazing. The magistrate that passed down judgment the next day let them off pretty lightly, requiring a fine of 25 pounds, or around 2,400 pounds today. My God. As well as assurances that they would be on their best behavior for one year. Whatever. Yeah. Regardless of what you may think of Molly houses today, at the time they provided a safe haven where men, gay, queer, trans, or bisexual alike, could form relationships friendships and even found families amongst others who accepted them for who they are
0: it's so nice i'm so sad that about mama Cloud. Mm-hmm. and everyone yeah. else like yeah some of them just got charged money and others died horribly
1: mm-hmm. and i think for for that it was like
0: it was just whoever charged you
1: yeah it was just the luck of the draw like mm-hmm. some people were like whatever you're just gonna go stand in the pillory for a while and it's fine. Others you're gonna pay a bunch of money. It stinks. Yeah. I did think it was fascinating. I think my favorite thing was the glory hole. Yeah. That was I I chuckled pretty hard when I read that. I was like, this is amazing. That's awesome. This is a fun fact that I will always have. Do
0: you think they also <laughs> carved like what what it was in it
1: too? <laughs> Insert ye dick here. Right. <laughs> Insert phallus here. Looking for more content? You can find us online at YieldCrimePodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at YieldCrimePod and on Facebook and Instagram at YieldCrimePodcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at YieldCrimePodcast. Go Ask Alice is a show intended for adult audiences. Holy shit. <laughs> it's like- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's disgusting.
0: <laughs> because adults want to learn too. The hoochie coochie. The power of silence. Noodling. I ended up on fan fiction. We jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you the most wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland.
1: (laughs) You asked me for a banger, you
0: got a banger. It is going to be so good.
1: You guys are going to
0: love this story.
1: Listen now, anywhere you get your podcasts. And this week's podcast plug is the Go Ask Alice podcast. Come on an adventure with your hosts Drew, Lindsay, Sarah, and Jean on their bi-weekly adventures through a wiki wonderland where they present the most interesting facts they have found on their way down the wikipedia rabbit hole nice and we will have a link to their show in the show notes if you're interested in ad-free content consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on buy me a coffee or our venmo page both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes if you'd like early ad-free content not to mention some bonus material. Become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. And this week's listener question comes from the yield Crime Out of Context Twitter account. What? And they want to know, would you rather have to sing everything you say or sound like you've sucked helium for the rest of your life? Sucked helium. I don't live in a musical. I don't want to do it. I would rather sing. I love singing. I sing fake crap all the time. No,
0: not everything. I would get be so sick of myself.
1: <laughs> That's fair. I just do it so much now anyway that it would just kind of, I wouldn't have to change too much about what I'm already doing. That's fair.
0: I think it would be super hilarious just to sound like I sucked helium all the time.
1: Without actually sucking helium, because there's a helium shortage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be mindful, everyone. Yeah. Do your part. Don't. Stop with all of the balloons at the gender reveal parties. There's a helium shortage. Just stop with the gender reveal parties. <laughs> this is true. L- like no, no more fire.
0: Very little good
1: has ever come from those. Very little. Do it in cake format. Even then, some of the cakes are just horrific. <laughs> I meant just like cupcakes where the filling is a different color. Yeah. Just because I like cupcakes. You know what would be really funny? What? If they just made it gray.
0: And they're like, joke's on you. This is a gender reveal party, but we're not telling. Bye.
1: <laughs> Everyone's like, what does the white filling mean? It means that we don't know and you don't either. <laughs> we just wanted stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for the gifts. <laughs> Get out.
1: <laughs> they throw on a smoke bomb and, like, waddle really fastly out of the room.
0: <laughs> Where'd she go? Also the color
1: gray. <laughs> <laughs> So what's something good you'd like to share this week?
0: I've been trying to think of something. This week was really hard. I had a really hard time. I'll say this. My something good was I recognized I needed help. Mm -hmm. And I started antidepressants this week. So my something good is I stopped white-knuckling life. And decided to ask for help and see what my options are. And now I'm starting something new and we'll see what happens. I'm proud of you. Thanks.
1: Asking for help is the first step.
0: Yeah, it sucks. Sorry. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard admitting you can't do it. Mm-hmm. But it's not that I couldn't do it. It's just that I didn't want to do it the hardest way possible. Yep. So, yeah. it's my It's my something okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good in the long run. But, like. Yeah, just okay. How about you?
1: I had such a crazy week. The best thing that happened this week is I got my computer back. Yay! And are you on it right now? I'm on it right now. Amazing. And they didn't have to wipe her, so all my stuff was still on her. And she's amazing. She's a superstar. She. she I'm gonna have to share it on social media, but my coworker Tiffany made me the desktop picture that I have right now which is a picture of me photoshopped on the side of I think it's the IBS building from in St. Paul and I'm replacing the NPR raccoon which was a meme from god how many years ago four or five years ago something like that. No it happened
0: during the pandemic didn't it because that's part of the reason why it blew up there was a raccoon that for whatever reason started scaling a building of a local radio station nearby
1: it happened in 2018 and it scaled the UBS tower yeah and ended up climbing up 20 stories
0: i, d- I know i just remember seeing that and i was like oh my god how does- is it is it d- going to die like <laughs> what's going to happen
1: so there's this famous picture of the side of the building and it's, like, holding on to this pillar. Like, I'll, I'll share a picture of yeah. it. I'll share a side-by-side. Side. But it is amazing. And, yeah. So, whoever was working on my computer, when they turned it on, there's a picture
0: of me <laughs> Photoshop on
1: the side of the UBS tower in St. Paul. Amazing. In place of a raccoon. So, yeah, I'm very happy that she's back. The laptop I was using was hot garbage and mm. I will never take her for granted again. Thank I love
0: God. you. I love you so much. Please don't leave me ever
1: again. <laughs> so that's my something good. Anyway, shall we? We shall. A great way to support the show if you want to help out but can't do so financially is to leave us a 5-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, Podcast Addict. Or to leave ratings on Spotify. We don't have a review this week. We have exhausted all of our reviews. Oops. So, this is your cue to go and leave us one. Do and more. And then you'll hear it read on the podcast.
0: Yeah, do more.
1: Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimer's Cubby or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as
0: crime.